Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to AI Named This Show. I'm not Tasia Custodi. I'm actually Tristan Jutra. I'm Tristan Jutra. Shoot! I mean, I'm Tasia Custodi. <laughs> and we're your human hosts. On this week's episode, we have uh, some little news from Apple, some big news from Google, and some huge news from OpenAI. And we're sending a very big and formal gruetzi. Gruetzi. To our listeners in Switzerland, Tristan, just so you know, I looked it up and that is the polite, formal way to greet people we don't know yet. Because in our mind, even though they're our friends, we've not met them yet. Well, you're much braver than I am with the pronunciation. Well done. Gruetzi. I, I, I don't know. I, in my mind, I nailed it. <laughs> I mean, should we trust people that speak so many languages, though? I'm a linguist. I'm not sure if you've heard... <laughs> I've but probably made because... some ears burn over the last, what are, what are we at, episode 26? 25. Oh, 25. Yeah, we, two bits. We're a quarter century old. Look well at done. us go. Our prefrontal cortexes are fully developed. Ish. Ish. <laughs> All right, Tristan, I have a little bit of follow-up for you because, oh goodness, quite a while back, I feel like it was the end of 2022. I almost said 2022. <laughs> almost the end of 2023, we talked about how Sarah Silverman and a few other people were suing OpenAI and Meta. Do you remember this? They were suing I them do. over copyright infringement. And, and we said, good luck with that. Correct. And we have a little wee update. So she had sued back in July of 2023, claiming that OpenAI and Meta trained their AI models on her books and other works, obviously without her permission. So what's happening here is basically the judge has struck down a lot of things except for the unfair competition portion. That part of the lawsuit is going to proceed. So U.S. District Judge, here we go. Araceli Martinez Olguin. I'm a linguist. You're going to give me all the hard names today. This wonderful judge, anyhow, sorry, judge, threw out some portions of the complaint from Sarah Silverman's legal team this week, including the negligence, the unjust enrichment, DMCA violations and And accusations. And that's the Digital Millennium Copyright Act for those playing at home. Yes. And accusations of voracious infringement. Vicarious. Ah, vicarious. (laughs) Guys. It could be voracious as well. I mean, the AI, the large language models are voracious in their appetites. I can read. (laughs) So the case's principal claim remains 
intact. And it alleges that OpenAI directly infringed on copyrighted material by training their LLMs on millions of books without permission. So that part remains intact. Now, as an aside, something that's going to be important here is we've talked about this before a little bit, but like the U.S. court system as a whole really has not determined whether training AI large language models on copyrighted work falls under that fair use doctrine. So that is still kind of a grayish, undetermined area. Now, last month, you might remember, TJ, that OpenAI admitted in a court filing that it would be, quote, impossible to train today's leading AI models without using copyrighted materials. I don't know why they would have said that in court. <laughs> Maybe you didn't have to admit that, but anywho, they did. So it's also worth noting that Sarah Silverman's case against Meta was also reduced down to just the copyright infringement claim. So that happened a little while ago. And in that session, U.S. Judge Vince Jabri, goodness gracious with these names, there's two H's in there. <laughs> that U.S. District Judge described some of the plaintiffs' dismissed claims as, quote, nonsensical. So judge did not mince any words there. Now, the New York Times, just as a reminder for everyone, is also suing OpenAI, as well as a whole collection of nonfiction authors that make up the group, the Authors Guild. So there's a lot of different lawsuits going on, a lot of different moving parts. So this is just a couple of the little updates there for you that basically everything else has been pushed aside and the copyrighted material claim is the part that can move forward. Just a couple of quick things. One... I think maybe that OpenAI mentioned that it would be impossible to train today's leading AI models without using copyrighted materials because it's basically saying, look, this is how these tools work. This is how this industry works. And the one remaining thing to really determine is whether or not this falls under fair use because the jury is still out. However, what I would tell Sarah Silverman's legal team is you might want to have a look at the... Google Books lawsuit that happened a long time ago, mm -hmm. about nine years ago now. And it was the Authors Guild versus Google when Google was scanning all sorts of books, millions of books with, in an automated fashion to index the content so people could quite easily find things. So now it was found that it was not really a, a threat to the book publishers themselves because they were not duplicating the books. Little Snippets were available to show you the context of what it is you were searching for, but it was not intended to replace said books. Kind of like training these large language models is not intended to replace the source materials. So I think they've got a large hill to climb, to climb with this case with Sarah Silverman et al. Because of a similar thing here is uh, has been shown that to be fair use. It took, like I said, eight years to, to work its way through the courts. And at the time, like Google actually paused their Google their book scanning project. I'm not sure if they've resumed it since. So you know this like so that, that whole point is like this none of this would work without being able to scan these copyrighted materials. Just like reading books wouldn't work with your eyes unless you are reading copyrighted materials and you wouldn't be able to write book reviews without doing copyrighted materials. Like it's, and that's it's kind of the how learning and training works, right? Is how yeah. these models are trained they're not outputting direct plagiarism from the book. Uh, unless they're... they're trying to, unless people are trying to game the, 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 with that whole New York Times thing a, a few weeks ago when they were. Well, they were prompting yeah, it yeah, to. Yeah, in a very deliberate. Exactly, and, you know, exactly. Unusual way. So, all right. Good luck with that.
Continued. <laughs> we file this one under. Good luck with that. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, uh, again, every, a little check-in with Apple. They've uh, been you know, quietly working away at their their AI efforts in addition to the hardware stuff we've mentioned before on the, on the chip side of things. Apple has made an AI image tool called MGIE, or Maggie. And MGIE stands for MLLM Guided Image Editing Model. Now, what's and MLLM? MLLM <laughs> is Multimodal Large Language Model. So this is a... And What's happening, like, what a lot of what Apple's doing is like in conjunction with universities and research. A lot of this is behind, behind the scenes kind of open source stuff. It's like go and play with it, but they're not going to call their product this, obviously. This is stuff, these are technologies that they will eventually be weaving in to their own product. So it's, they're just leaning into the weird names here, but they're never going to see names like this in their actual products. So it's a new AIM image editing tool developed by Apple with the University of California, Santa Barbara, also known as UCSB, and that can modify photos based on text prompts. So we've seen creating uh, imagery using text prompts, but this is taking existing photos and images and modifying them. Because often when we try to use text prompts to modify things that we create with text prompts, sometimes it totally loses the plot. It doesn't even remember what the original thing was and it's giving me something totally different. Again, it's like, hey, wait, don't just do the thing like you did just a second ago, but make it better. Nope, we're gonna do something brand new again. It's like, ah! So the idea here is you're taking some, something, an existing image and just chatting away with the LLM, the L, the MLLM to get it to do what you want. So the idea is it can perform simple and complex tasks such as cropping, resizing, flipping, adding filters, changing colors, shapes, and brightness of objects in photos. Can you think of any particular, so typing, you know, is one thing, but imagine if you could just say these commands. And just, can you think of a device recently announced by Apple that it might be handy to be able to have enhanced voice interactions hmm. to be able to manipulate media? media? Something, hmm. let me check the vision of the future. I wonder, hmm, yeah. tip of the tongue. Yeah, nothing's coming to mind. Mm. Anyhow, so, um, this model, the uh, Maggie, M-G-I-E, is available for download on GitHub and has a web demo on Hugging Face Spaces, uh, which is another place where all sorts of fun <laughs> open source stuff exists. And as you might have noticed, Apple has been uh, very active, not, not very uh, active publicly in the generative AI field, but has released some open source frameworks and plans to add more AI features to its devices as time goes on. So watch this space, because a lot of this stuff, if, if they can finally make Siri smarter, it's not Game only gonna changer. benefit, it not only gonna benefit your iPhones, your iPads, your Macs, but also maybe something like the Apple Vision Pro, where the interaction model is a whole little different, different a different mode, multimodal, so to speak. She's really been the most lackluster part of an Apple. <laughs> well, they all experience. feel so dumb now, especially that we've you know had a chance to talk to these these fancy new LLMs, right? So last week we had some amazing news uh, from from Google a Gemini, and there's some more news this week. But just a quick little bit of uh, update first for those who have been playing around with the various uh, versions of Google's uh, Gemini AI is that uh, there are some potential privacy thing, uh, considerations for you to bear in mind. Um, that this AI assistant retains user data for up to three years and uses human reviewers to improve its performance. So 
with that in mind, maybe don't provide gem, just like you with any other of these things, maybe don't provide any confidential information or data that you wouldn't want a reviewer to see or Google to use. The other thing to bear in mind is that if issued a warrant, data could be accessed by law enforcement or used as evidence in court cases. So don't make a plan to bury the body and where you're going to bury the body. Because just as we've seen when people do that with Google Maps, the same applies here. You're going to be dumb. Be dumb in your own mind. Dear Google Gemini, what's the best way to kill my podcast co-host without getting caught? And, And how should I dispose of the body? That's in your search history. I saw it. Google Gemini told me. He's keeping it for three years. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. It hallucinated. <laughs> Both the prompt and the response. As mentioned, there's more to the Google Gemini story this week, Tasia, and that's where you shine. There is more, and I want you to hold on to your hats because, you know, we love Google and the naming conventions, so just let's not get confused, folks. <laughs> I have to preface this story by saying, today, Tristan, this morning... I released a new YouTube video about Gemini Advanced. And I kid you not, the second I went on Twitter or X, because I was going to put that tweet out that I used Gemini Advanced to promote it with, don't I freaking see a tweet from Google being like, hey, 1.5 Pro is here. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me like i just released this video i cannot keep up what the heck is 1.5 pro so let me break it down for you (laughs) we talked last week about the naming convention so gemini advanced uses ultra okay and right now that's one ultra 1.0 okay Mm or 1.0 ultra whatever you want to call it The regular free Gemini version uses Pro. The Pro is what is powering it. So this was like a Pro 1.0, I guess. Well, now the regular free Gemini version is getting 1.5 Pro. And Google is saying this achieves comparable quality to 1.0 Ultra, which remember is the one that powers the, the paid Gemini Advanced. So not only are they saying it achieves comparable quality but while using less compute so this new generation they say also delivers a breakthrough in long context understanding so they've been able to significantly increase the amount of information that their models can process running up to 1 million tokens consistently achieving the longest context window of any large-scale foundational model yet so this is pretty big because this kind of this longer context window kind of shows us what's what's going to be possible so they're going to enable entirely new capabilities and help developers build more useful models and applications now this is in limited preview right now it's an experimental feature this is what google likes to do they like to say this is an experiment and then they're really really as we know cautious as cautious as you can be with this type of stuff. So right now, it's just going to be for developers and some enterprise customers to kind of test it out and provide some feedback. It's a mid-size multimodal model optimized for scaling across a wide range of tasks. And like I said, it performs very similar to the 1.0 Ultra, which is that paid Gemini advanced, their largest model to date. So 
Gemini 1.5 Pro comes with a standard 128,000 token context window. But as of when this news broke this morning, that limited group of developers and enterprise customers can try it with that context window of up to a million tokens via AI Studio and Vertex AI. And this is just like in a private preview. So as they're rolling out that 1 million token context window, they're also working on optimizations to improve the latency, reduce computational requirements, and then also, of course, just enhance overall user experience. So hopefully you understand the naming conventions and what's going on, but this is big because since this is an upgrade to what I'm just going to say for all us lay people, the free version of Gemini, essentially. It's what, getting a what, big upgrade. Yeah. yeah, what most people are using. And if you don't want to pay, if you're a freemium user, you don't want to pay for a Gemini Advanced. Because by the way, at least as of right now, in certain countries where image generation is available, image generation is also available on Gemini, the free basic version of Gemini. So if that's a reason people are thinking to upgrade, at least as of right now, you don't need to unless they pull that and make that only for paid users. So it's kind of really interesting to see like, well, wait a second, hang on a tick. You just announced advanced and we got an app and we got Gemini in our Google app on iOS and and wait, now you're saying this free version is powered by 1.5 Pro, which this Pro is going to be better than Ultra. So uh, what's going to be next week, Tristan? <laughs> Ultra... 1.5 max extreme. <laughs> ultra to the max <laughs> so there's <laughs> keep up there, there's there's well which i mean it's that's cool Pro's going to get smarter when they this eventually goes public and it could be weeks or it could be months away for all we know but then just imagine what ultra is going to be like the 1.5 version of ultra is going to be massive crazy now, just a couple of things. The first is that in case anyone and any of you out there is wondering, like, what is a context window again? Quick refresher. A context window in, a, in an LLM or large language model is like it's short-term memory, allowing it to consider a certain amount of recent information, much like how each of us can only keep a few sentences in mind while having a conversation as evidenced by what's <laughs> happening right here. <laughs> now, I can't even keep anything in mind. <laughs> it's like, how many quote unquote tokens can you keep in your mind? And so a token is a unit of text that the model reads, processes, or generates. And this is a, a little bit of a mushy concept because it could be as small as a single character, or it could be as long as a word, or even a, an entire phrase. So let's say we took a sentence like, Tasia loves Google. Exclamation Fact. point. Yeah. Each word and each punctuation mark, so Tasia loves Google, exclamation point, could be considered separate tokens. Again, depending on the context. So for context on how these numbers we're talking about here uh, compare to what we've been seen in the past from other LLMs, we, we're talking about 128,000 tokens up to a million now. Well, believe it or not, GPT-3 so that's just a year and a couple of months ago, like 15 months ago, 4,096 tokens. GPT 3.5 Turbo, 16,000 tokens. GPT 4, big jump, 128,000 tokens. And the current Gemini Pro is at 32,000 tokens. And, Sund and uh, Sundar Pichai from Google is even talking about models with 10 million 
tokens in the future. Good. So you can see where the curve that this is, this stuff is developing on, right? And why people with concerns about the future of AI and safety and all this stuff and the, the power to create media, deep fakes, et cetera, is, is really on people's minds because the, the context windows, the, the, the power, the, the access to computing resources just increasing, increasing, increase. And some of the other stories we're going to be talking about today kind of tie into this. But before we let this story go, let's just talk very briefly about Google and their their, their, their marketing, their, is this a middle management <laughs> battle? What is happening that only a week after this wonderful launch of Gemini, do we have Gem 1.0? Do we have, oh, we're already talking about Gemini 1.5. Now, students of tech history may be familiar with something called the Osborne effect. And very roughly, it was in the 80s, one of the early luggable computers, kind of like a K-Pro. It's like a suitcase computer um, launched with great fanfare, the Osborne One. But... It, didn't, it wasn't much long after they announced the Osborne one that they already started talking about the Osborne 2, which was coming out next year. Well, what do you think that did to the sales of the Osborne one? I don't think we ever saw an Osborne 3. Let's just put it that way. So not quite the same danger here because we're, here we're talking about, you know, online you know, services and, you know, software in the cloud and whatnot. But what it does do is confuses people. And, you know, Google and its naming... And now this, and sure, it's, this is private testing, but couldn't you have just given it a little longer? But it just goes to show you how fast things are moving in AI that these companies don't want to wait because, you know, the competitors are not sitting Each still. one just keeps eclipsing. They keep leapfrogging each other. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, what, what will tomorrow bring? We just don't know. <laughs> well, we know a little bit in that uh, NVIDIA... The, who has been uh, working hard on their uh, cranking out specialized hardware for all of these uh, AI companies with their, I don't even remember the names. There's, there's all sorts of model names. You can, you can look them up. But they're selling these by the truckload. Being, they're being bought up by, uh, you know, by Tesla, being bought up by OpenAI, being bought up by um, you know, XAI, sort of affiliated with Tesla via Elon Musk. All these folks are buying they tons of... right place, right time. <laughs> exactly. So it's not just about gaming. It's not just about crypto. Now it's about AI as well. Now NVIDIA is like, hey, you know, there are so many PCs out there that are that just regular PCs and gaming PCs that have our graphics cards in them. And sure, they're not specialized for AI, like some of the other high-end things that we're selling for tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars a pop. Well, some of these can be pretty good for uh, doing a little bit of AI on your home computer. So and, uh, NVIDIA has launched a free demo version of a personalized chatbot called Chat with RTX. Just rolls off the tongue. It, it runs locally on Windows PCs with NVIDIA's GeForce RTX 30 series GPUs or higher with at least 8 gigabytes of RAM. That's 8 gigabytes of RAM, I believe, on the graphics card itself. That's not talking about your computer's RAM. The chatbot can access your uh, your documents and answer questions based on them. And so it's, it supports several file formats, including txt files pdfs uh doc docx files from word xml and so on and nvidia says it will load the relevant files into its data set in seconds 
And this is all happening locally. So the company claims it's fast, private, and secure. There's also some online capabilities, including the ability to uh, you know, paste in a YouTube uh, URL and have it um, ch you know, check out uh, the script and kind of like we were talking, uh, we, we've been talking on previous episodes, look things up in, in transcripts and whatnot. So it can interact with YouTube videos uh, directly from its uh, chat with RTX interface. And reviewers at The Verge praise the chatbot's ability to analyze a collection of documents and provide contextual answers. So we can see here where we're going with some of these digital assistants. It's a little bit of the future using our personal data. It's kind of like people on, say, on a Mac, we use Spotlight to you know, search things. Uh, you know, it can be reasonably good at finding documents, not, not only based on the title of the document, but also the contents you know, those deep searches. Windows has similar features. I remember Google had something a long time ago. Was it called Google Desktop Search? Wasn't that like 15 years ago? Mm -hmm. was a, that was an app that you would download and it was using the power of Google search engine on your desktop. So this is like the, kind of like the spiritual successor. Six, <laughs> successor. <laughs> We're linguists here, I remember? It's fine. I, I'm just drunk on AI. <laughs> so, uh, if, so think of it as a spiritual successor to something like Google Desktop Search or, uh, or Spotlight. Of course, it's the early days, so there's still going to be some bugs. But it's kind of interesting. Now it's now it's coming home, like onto your device. So the next logical extension of that, of course, is getting it on your tablets and smartphones, et cetera, being able to scour and interact with anything that you've already got on your device. And that, in the future, that could even be things like photos. And we've seen little glimpses of this, say, with uh, the Photos app on your, on your uh, iPhone, where you can just type in the word dog. And for the last couple of years, it'll show you pictures of dogs that you've taken. Uh, and, you know, cat, same, or even types of dogs, like collie. Type in collie, and it shows me pictures of my dog. So, and, you know, with face recognition, all that sort of stuff. So here we're talking about uh, text, but of course, this thing is only going to grow and grow as these graphics cards get more powerful and the optimized chipsets on all our devices, be it our desktop and laptop computers, tablets, and smartphones, because we've got Google working with their Tensor chips, you know, Apple with their neural engines on, on their um, A and M series processors. So... It's, all this stuff is going to start getting even more and more useful as time goes on. You excited? It's all so overwhelming. <laughs> we need to start pausing in the middle of these podcasts to just take a deep breath. <laughs> take a deep breath. Oh, boy. But you know what? Um, NVIDIA isn't quite done yet, Tasia, because they are uh, pursuing... $30 billion custom chip opportunity with a new unit. So as mentioned, they have been doing well with their existing lineup uh, so far, but they're, no, they're not content with just that. They're building a new business unit focused on designing bespoke chips for cloud computing firms and others, including advanced AI processors. So the company aims to capture a portion of an exploding market for custom AI chips and sh shield itself from the growing number of companies pursuing alternatives to its product. products. Uh, news on that in just a mm. moment. NVIDIA faces competition from, uh, from Broadcom, from Marvell, as well as its own customers who are developing their own internal chips. They plan to target the cloud, 5G wireless, video games, and automotive markets with its custom chip offerings and have met with representatives from Amazon, Meta, Microsoft, Google, and OpenAI to discuss making custom chips for them, too. It's also in talks with Ericsson for a wireless chip and Nintendo for a new console chip. So it's, it's not just AI, but AI is definitely part of this conversation. 
but uh, part of this may be in response to what uh, maybe your little your nunk's been working on on the side. I've been waiting all show <laughs> to talk about my nunk. Mm-mm-mm. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some well less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs. United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Sama, Sam Altman, back in the news today for multiple reasons. You know he's not going to like you back. I know. I'm so Sorry. upset. In my mind, he does. Okay. okay. <laughs> and really, that's all that matters. Okay. He would like me as like a friend. Sure. Sure. And you could talk about uh, AI chips and hardware. I could just pick his brain like, what's it like to be this smart and driven? Also, why are you my nunk? <laughs> How do you feel? Okay. Anyway, let's get serious for a wee tick. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that Sam Altman is trying to raise as much as seven trillion. <laughs> With a T. Like what? I want to do the, I want to do the Austin Powers. <laughs> the Dr. Evil? The doc- yes, the Dr. Evil. Seven trillion dollars. <laughs> okay, just, just so we're clear, that's 7,000 billion dollars. I, I, it's hard to... Go big or go home, right? Imagine that number. But he's trying to raise as much as this to significantly increase the world supply of semiconductor chips. So he's reportedly been talking to prospective investors, including the United Arab Emirates government, about his proposals to help solve the global chip shortage. Because you do what? You go where the money is. <laughs> so some money there. Uh, they do. So the UAE's Sheikh Tanun bid Zayan al Nahyan. Did I nail it? I'm, why am I getting the names today? Tristan. Is that three strikes and you're out? I think you're doing great. You know what? I'll see you later. <laughs> Goodbye. Anyway, I'm just going to say that he is reportedly one of the potential backers. So it's also reported that Altman is pitching this as kind of like a partnership with OpenAI and the chip maker the chip makers and investors who can finance GPU chip plants. And then the facilities will be run by established chip makers. So we know that my has been very vocal about the need for greater infrastructure to support AI's advancement. So this just seems like the next move, but the number is hilarious. Like, I don't know if you follow him at all on Twitter, but like Mr. Beast has had some back and forth with him and it has been so funny. Like he's like, if you can just give me like just a little bit of that seven trill, I could make videos <laughs> like so many videos for the rest of existence, basically. Like it's just 
it's wild to think out. But but that is not the only open AI news, of course. We're not done. Not nearly we're done. We're not we're just it's tip <laughs> of the in. iceberg, peeps. So strap in, sit down. <laughs> Cause we got a long road. No, but in all seriousness, OpenAI has confirmed that state affiliated bad actors have been using their tech for malicious purposes, which this has been like we've assumed this was gonna happen. So now we're just kind of giving, getting confirmation. So this discovery comes as part of a collaboration with Microsoft Threat Intelligence, which is like a community of like thousands of experts and researchers and threat hunters. I want that job. <laughs> I don't actually want the job. It's way above my pay grade. They but throw the best parties. <laughs> it's like, what do you do? I'm a threat hunter. Just sounds so badass. Anyway. <laughs> This whole group of people, they analyze and detect cyber threats. Like, that's what they do. So OpenAI says they discovered at least five confirmed state-affiliated actors that were using their services for querying open source information, translating, finding coding errors, and then running basic coding tasks. And we have a little short list of these bad actors. (laughs) This is my favorite part. Oh, my God. You know we love naming conventions here on this show. This is very exciting. Google, pay attention. Pay attention because this is how you do. Pay attention to these bad actors because this is how you do a naming convention. So there's two China-affiliated actors known as Charcoal Typhoon and Salmon Typhoon. Friggin' so good. Are they on tour together? (laughs) Real bangers. Dropping soon. They've got just some absolute bops. (laughs) So there's an Iran-affiliated actor known as Crimson Sandstorm. These are starting to sound like porn names. <laughs> Crimson Sandstorm. Sure. They're... A redhead, I take it. <laughs> and there's a North Korea affiliated actor known as Emerald Sleet. Mm. And a Russian affiliated actor known as Forest Blizzard. There is a blizzard is that? in a, a that forest. <laughs> Hmm. Pine-flavored blizzard now from Dairy Creek. Mm, yummy. So the accounts were said to be relying on OpenAI's services to bolster potential cyber attacks. Now, here's what's important. This I'm going to just quote Microsoft here. They said that these include reconnaissance, such as learning about potential victims' industries, locations, and relationships with helping coding, including improving things like software scripts and malware development, and assistance with learning and using native languages. They also go on to say that language support is a natural feature of LLMs and is attractive for threat actors with continuous focus on social engineering and other techniques relying on false deceptive communications tailored to their targets, jobs, professional networks, and other relationships. So this is kind of like a, I don't, I'm not hitting the panic button, but it's there. I'm aware of it. So they also chalked this up to you know, they kind of try to dumb it down for us a little bit so we don't hit that panic button. And they're just saying, you know what, this was like an early detection effort intended to expose, quote, early stage incremental moves that we observe well-known threat actors attempting. So they're, it's important to say here, they're not saying anything bad actually happened because of this or yet. They're just saying, hey, oopsie. And we've, we've gotten, they're pretending they've gotten, I'm saying pretending. They're saying they've gotten ahead of it. And they're just saying, you know what? It's under control. We're just merely saying we've figured out that there were these accounts 
using our tool and we've deleted them. That's nothing to see here. Nothing Move to along. see here. That's in a nutshell what they're saying. If you buy it, Tristan, that's up to you. But this is... The, the transparency is, is a good sign. Yes. And the fact that said uh, actors are using OpenAI's tools, I guess you know, take, they can take it as a compliment. It may also <laughs> it may also tell you that the tools available uh, in, under those regimes may not be as advanced because of various restrictions placed upon them. So they're using uh, tools from a- OpenAI and others to do whatever it is they want to do. You know, whether it's their misinformation or disinformation campaigns, their deepfakes or, or what have you. The other thing that just came to mind that I think would be good for us to be aware of is there have been reports of people who have kind of jailbroken some of these LLMs, so to speak, either on purpose or even accidentally by certain types of prompts. And sometimes it's just they like you and I and I've this has happened to me every once in a while too, where I've started a prompt and I've kind of aborted it, and then it answers a question that I didn't ask. We've also seen times where it's all of a sudden offered up a whole bunch of gobbledygook, some of which includes other people's information in there. And OpenAI has worked hard to try and stamp some of those bugs out. But if there is research being done by bad actors on how to hack the systems just through the text interface, that that might be a concern. And I'm sure that OpenAI's security team is watching for that kind of stuff. So if you ever uh, encounter some unexpected responses when using any of these LLMs, it would behoove all of us legitimate (laughs) users, non-malicious actors, to report Mm -hmm. said uh, incidents to the maker of the LLM, be it OpenAI, Google, and so on, NVIDIA, so that they can keep on top of those things because those are exactly the kind of exploits that bad actors would look for in order to compromise security of the others that they may know are using these systems you know Microsoft right copilot everyone lots they're pushing it to enterprise so don't you think that bad actors around the world for espionage or other reasons might not be interested in trying to worm their way into the uh, information that's being shared with Microsoft copilot like I'm sure there's a way so, but this up. is Tristan mm-hmm. is still not it for my nunk and OpenAI and ChatGPT because ChatGPT five, we've got some <laughs> some news there, don't we? Uh, well, I hold can't on keep your up. Hats. <laughs> so, of course, it stands to reason that we went from three to three point five turbo to four. This talk that four four point five turbo is sort of you know, we're happening behind the scenes. But of course, GPT-5 is going to be a thing at some point. And in a, a conversation with um, uh, with others, I, you know, Sam Altman talks to a lot of uh, folks, but um, one of the things he mentioned in a conversation between him and Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella is that the next version of GPT um, will have improved speech images and video capabilities, as well as better reasoning ability and reliability. So, of course, you know, Google, NVIDIA, not to mention Meta and Apple, they're all pursuing, uh, Meta and Apple, who are pursuing open source um, angles. We've got Google and NVIDIA and 
others doing kind of closed source stuff. GPT-5 will be more customizable, more personalized, able to use personal data. Sound familiar? Mm -hmm. NVIDIA. <clears throat> Integrate with external data sources and process multiple content types such as images, audio, video, and numerical data. So we know in the past that uh, ChatGPT hasn't been great at math, so that was going to get better. There's no specific release date yet, but it's expected to be sometime in 2025. But OpenAI may introduce an interim update. Let's call it ChatGPT 4.5 in the <laughs> meantime. And of course, GPT-5 could lead to GPT-4 becoming more affordable and accessible. So kind of like they did with 3.5 once 4 came out. And uh, enable ChatGPT to handle complex tasks such as coding, translation, and research. Just, research. Just more and more powerful um, naturally as time goes on. But wait... There's more. There's more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, what what uh, what what are the sort of features that we might see specifically in GPT five? Well, there's a couple being tested already, and we're going to talk about two of them. One aspect of a future version of ChatGPT is likely to be long-term conversation memory. So OpenAI announced that in conjunction with a small pool of users, it is experimenting with adding a form of long-term memory to ChatGPT that will allow it to remember details between conversations. So you'll be able to ask ChatGPT to remember or forget and see what it remembers. Memories will evolve with the interactions and be applied across conversations and um, the your custom GPTs will have their own distinct memories. So each of your in individual custom GTP GPTs that you've made for specific purposes, they'll maintain uh, longer-term memories over time as well. So some of the examples cited included, uh, let's say uh, you wanted to set up and run a, a coffee shop. Well, there's all sorts of different aspects of running a, a coffee shop. It could you know, be like operations, you know, HR, uh, accounting, customer service, you know, supply chain, all this kind of stuff. If you could just have your custom GPT in that case, probably, as opposed to the general one, just keep all as much of that stuff in its head as possible going on so that you could go back to it and say, hey, what, who was the supplier for that uh, Yerba Mate blend that we like so much, et cetera? Um, and this could you know, save you time like sifting through uh, documents as just one example. Uh, others included, um, you know, generating graphics for a toddler, I guess, you know, if you're making coloring books and, and the like, and, you know, there's this particular style you're trying to get it to remember as opposed to reinventing the wheel every single time. Uh, designing kindergarten lesson plans. Why not? It might be, especially in the types of curriculum development where a lot of the stuff builds on the past, you want to make sure it maintains a memory of what you've already covered. When it comes to enterprise and teams of customers uh, for ChatGPT, you could have your chatbot remember your business's preferences for tone, voice, formatting, uh, programming languages, coding frameworks, all that sort of stuff. Now, of course, any tendency to for a tool like this to remember information is going to bring privacy implications with it. So we should be aware that our saved memories are subject to OpenAI training use unless we specifically opt out. And as part of this whole process, OpenAI is also trying to reassure everyone that's taking steps to mitigate biases and avoid remembering sensitive information. So what is sensitive? Who knows? Again, maybe just don't share sensitive information with your chatbot mm -hmm. if you're concerned about that. Overall uh, because... theme today, they have long memories. <laughs> exactly. Their yeah. memories are better than ours. They're getting longer and better every day. Let's not share <laughs> what we don't want to share. So this, along with that in, in NVIDIA uh, chat with RTX story that we were talking about, it, it's offering another angle to a sneak peek into what AI assistance will become as we continue this journey. But there's uh, even more. I'm so excited. Okay. No. 
even more. What other kinds of capabilities do you think OpenAI will be developing for its next big version of uh, GPT? So GPT-5, for example, or maybe even sooner. Well, there's enhanced multimodal capabilities, including video. You know, they've already woven in DALI into the ChatGPT interface. Well, let's get some video in there too. So with generative video tools like Runway, with Pika and Google Lumiere have been getting lots of attention over the last few months, OpenAI has not been sitting still. Uh, They've announced a new text-to-video AI model that can generate realistic and imaginative scenes from text instructions. And it's called Sora. S-O-R-A. And it can generate videos of up to a minute long. So we're not just talking like five seconds Mm -mm. like some of these other tools we've been talking about previously. Um, And you can have multiple characters in them, motions, emotions, and physical interactions. It can also modify existing videos or images with text prompts. So that uh, a little bit of what we were talking about with Apple with modifying uh, images. Well, this is modifying video with text prompts. OpenAI showcased some of the videos on the... um, uh, on their own website, and for those who may be watching uh, at, at home, we will have uh, we'll have uh, we'll just we'll throw some of these up here. Go to openai.com/sora. S O R A. It's wild. One, <laughs> one of the uh, examples, and I'll I'll just read you the prompt because again, with any of any stuff you're doing with LLMs, the Garbage in, garbage out. So the better, more detailed prompt you you give it, the better output you're going to get. And this is no exception here. So one example is a stylish woman walks down a Tokyo street filled with warm, glowing neon and animated city signage. She wears a black leather jacket, a long red dress, and black boots, and carries a black purse. She wears sunglasses and red lipstick. She walks confidently and casually. The street is damp and reflective, creating a mirror effect of the colorful lights. Many pedestrians walk about. And what it's generated, if this is to be believed, is wild. So they've said on their website, by the way, that this is, they've done nothing to these videos. These are examples of ones that are, this is what the output was on that prompt. So like this particular one that you're talking about, TJ, we can get some of the other ones in a second, but it's a little bit mind-blowing because you have to look really closely to see oh there's some glitchiness or uh, her legs at certain points when they're crossing over it doesn't really work exactly well like if you watch it close enough and enough times but on first look when you're first just looking at this this could be a woman walking down a street in Tokyo Mm -hmm. it's friggin insane it's insane. And then, guys, they like cut to like this close-up of her. There's a logo on the side of the sunglasses that they put on her. Like reflections in the sunglasses. Yes. Lenses. They <laughs> put the reflections in the of the street in the friggin' yeah. sunglass lenses. It, like the detail of the buttons on the coat. Like it's freaking me out. So where it might fall apart is that if you, if a, a native Japanese speaker and reader, they were to look at the signs, they might go, wait a second, those are gobbledygook characters. So similarly, if these were, if this was an English setting, we might read the signs and they were, they might not make any sense. So there are, there will still be some telltale signs, so to speak, right? But again, just the, the step change in, in quality from efforts we've seen from others to date is wild. Some of the other prompts are uh, are short, some are long, but the most impressive ones are often from the longest detailed 
prompts. We've got some you know, giant woolly mammoths and a long dis a prompt description there. Uh, a movie trailer uh, featuring the adventures of a 30-year-old spaceman <laughs> wearing a, uh, a red uh, wool knitted motorcycle helmet for some reason. Uh, drone views of waves crashing that against one is some incredible. rugged cliffs along Big Sur's Garay Point Beach. It's and incredible. It looks like, drone footage. It looks yeah, like legit yeah. drone footage. Like yeah. if you guys go to openai.com slash Sora, I'm telling you some of this stuff, like especially those landscape shots where there's not like a lot of people movement or pet movement or things like or that. Or signage. Or signage. <laughs> no yeah, words, like, letters. <laughs> like we're looking at some stuff here where, oh, that's a legitimate B-roll shot. Somebody put a drone up and went there to Big Sur. Oh, it's insane. So we've seen a variety of styles, including animated scenes, uh, paper crafts, so like uh, art art artistic type stuff, uh, other you know, wildlife, a uh, little <laughs> photorealistic close-up video of two pirate ships battling <laughs> each other as they sail inside a cup of coffee. Wow. Why not? <laughs> so some of these definitely give AI vibes, but some of them are just like, if, if there's a casual viewer, it's like, oh, it's a young man in his uh, 20s sitting on a piece of cloud in the sky reading a book. That it, looks. It looks legitimately cool. like there's a dude reading a book <laughs> in a friggin' cloud. I don't know how else to describe it. Like I showed it to Brett earlier, and I was like, "Dude, if we didn't know that it's not humanly possible to sit on a cloud, it looks like a dude sitting <laughs> on a cloud reading a book." So Sora is currently only accessible to a, a select group of testers and creators who are providing feedback and assessing potential risks. And harms. Gee, I wonder what could go wrong. And something tells me, Tasia, that you might have some thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts. I want to, I need to preface this by saying I'm jazzed, I'm pumped, I'm very excited, my mind is blown, all the coolness, all the things, okay? But I, we've got to talk a little bit about disinformation for a second because this, as you could assume, we're going to have some problems, Tristan. <laughs> we're going to have some problems. So I want to put my excitedness on the back burner just for a second. Because if you actually take a look at OpenAI as a company, and you know I love my nunk, you know I think this is just exceptional work. All of OpenAI's public tools are content generators. So the likes of which, as we know, experts have warned are just primed to be used in fraudulent ways, maybe for disinformation campaigns and the like. So I just want to keep that in mind. Like when it comes to something like Sora, like this text to video generation, OpenAI does say it's working on some watermarking technologies in order to like flag content that it's been, this generator has been used to create it. So who knows what that'll look like. That's why this is obviously still not, they're not just going to release it to the public yet. They're going to do a lot more testing on it. But it's, they're hopefully creating some systems that aren't going to allow users to generate violent or sexual imagery. That's, they've actually mentioned that a few times so far today already in the release. But like, I just want you to think about this. The entire point of Sora is to generate fake content like think about that it's to generate content that doesn't exist right like we're just like hey make this up so what i'm not super pumped about is the fact that this is happening <laughs> right 
during election season. So my... <laughs> What's the worst that could happen? My God, help me. So my hope is like, please keep this in a testing phase. And, and I know, and we've mentioned, this is not the first text-to-video generator. We get it. But when you see what what these outputs are of what they're claiming are like the first output that it's doing and this isn't even friggin publicly available this is next level and and the concern for me here is we see how quick these things are evolving uh, i'm telling you tristan please please don't put it in the hands of public before this election season you know what not even this whole year not even right after the election season uh it's it's not hard to see how some of this generated content can be used for political disinformation, scams, <laughs> otherwise generally toxic content. So it's great that they're putting some of these guardrails in place, but I think we're going to need a lot more guardrails than just what they're saying in terms of like flagging content that seems to, to quote, violent or sexual, like... I think we're going to need a little a little more guardrails in terms of that. There's also what we've talked a lot of bit a lot about before in terms of like environmental impact here. So there's been a lot of research being done into like how how much this takes, like how much energy this this type of stuff takes. And geez, wasn't it just last episode we talked about just like our text to text LLMs and how much that takes? Text-to-image generators are significantly worse, environmentally speaking. So some researchers say, like, creating an AI image takes the same amount of energy as it does to fully charge your smartphone. Just one image. So now we're talking about text-to-video on, like, a large scale. And like you're saying, it's up to a minute-long video right now. So it's not even these short five, ten-second videos. So we do need to be mindful of that. And in that vein, I just want to bring up with you, I don't know if you, uh, there's a fun thread going on on Twitter right now. And as much as I enjoy it, and it has been a quite a delight. So Sam Altman has been taking people's <laughs> requests in his thread after he announced this. And people have been telling him what he wants to prompt what they want to make. So some people have said things like, a half duck, half dragon flies through a beautiful sunset with a hamster dressed in an in adventure gear on its back. Um, you know, there's futuristic prompts. There's prompts about, like, there was a penguin, I think, playing chess. There's all this kind of stuff. Listen, super fun. But I do think about the amount of energy it takes. It took just to make that 10 second prompt for the people. You understand? So it's fun. And this has been really great. Like somebody did one, a bicycle race on ocean with different animals as athletes riding the bicycles with drone camera view. And it's so cute to see a dolphin on a bike in the ocean. I got to tell you, but do we need it? Is this, <laughs> is this what we need? So there is that bit of concern. And I will also just leave you with this, Tristan is this going to take my job? <laughs> I am a video creator uh, and I'm being a little facetious, a little not, you know, there is a concern in the creator economy for sure with any of this, like with the text generators, with image generators, with now video generators. 
I again would just caution people and say, use it as a tool. So here's what I want to say after all my scary stuff is I look at this and when I put aside all the scary stuff, I, I don't actually think it's going to take my job because it can't replace a human aspect to the work. But what it can do for video creators, do you know how many times like daily I have to go and use terrible, terrible B-roll sites like I've got to go to like Shutterstock or Pexels or somewhere and find video b-roll that I can use in client stuff because they're sending me this content and they want to put a profile video together and there's not been an on-location shoot we have no no video of these people and I have to cover them talking on camera with something this would be huge for me and I'm sure for a lot of video creators so the the places I'd be concerned are if you're the Shutterstocks, if you're the Pexels, and if you're the creators that sell their content on those sites, like, you know, your stock B-roll footage. Because I got to tell you, Tristan, I am sick and tired of seeing the same actors in this stock B-roll footage. <laughs> it's getting really tiring. So now it would be different people all the damn time. Very exciting. You could have a litter of golden retriever puppies, for example. Playing in the snow. <laughs> Guys, there was a little a little Dalmatian on like a windowsill in Italy. And the little Dalmatian just hops from one windowsill to the other windowsill. And it, it sticks its tongue out as it does it. And I just, you know, cute as all heck, but do we need it? <laughs> <laughs> so you've raised a number of issues there. And I just want to take a quick sec to jump on uh, a couple of them. One is that about the, the safety uh, guardrails. One of the things we didn't talk about, and I assume this is going to be part of it, is they will probably be restricting the inclusion of public figures mm -hmm. in this, uh, be, you know, especially politicians, possibly celebrities, maybe even all living people that they're aware of, including certain podcast hosts. But you never know. Maybe we can replace ourselves. The the environmental side of things, of course, there's going to be the the hit from people just playing around, right? Yeah. But then there's also the math that one needs to do regarding what's the amount of energy required to go and do a location shoot, you know, to fly and or drive somewhere with one's drone, to, you know, shoot all this footage, do all the stuff on the computer, render, et cetera, et cetera. Or if one's doing, you know, 3D style animation, there's a large uh, computing component to that too, CPU and especially GPU, and, and then the rendering there. So before we get too carried away with the environmental impacts of, of these for professional use at the very least, we might want to consider the, the savings in like say carbon footprint or whatever measure that, that we're using. Batteries uh, or just, just straight of up. your gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all that thing. But the thing, the, the thing with tools like this is that, you know, quote unquote, it democratizes access to this. So you're going to see a lot more people playing around with it. And that has its own energy footprint, carbon footprint, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll, we'll see, you know, how that all washes out. But again, most, most tech of one form or another takes power. And that's, I mean, it's a, it's an issue, but usually human flourishing, I think, as we've discussed before, involves higher energy use. And that's why... Yernunk has also been looking at, you know, looking into fusion power and all that. There's lots of research being done on various types of clean power to help us because all the good things are going to have 
energy consumption uh, footprint, carbon footprint, et cetera. So whatever we can do to best mitigate those, uh, the better. Because these these tools aren't going to go away. You know, they're not saying like, oh no, we're going to not we're we're not going to have these tools now because they take too much energy. Nope, sorry, it's we just have to do we just have to adapt. Right? Mm -hmm. But it's this is I, I can't wait to get my my hands on this, and <laughs> take down our power grid. <laughs> Hey, I mean, this is the thing. There's arguments. There's going to be pros and cons to all of this. Mm -hmm. And as we've said before, we make no promises here. We're just delivering you the information. We can't tell you what's right or wrong. <laughs> if the tools are here for us to try and use, what we always say is just protect yourself as much as you can online. Know what you're getting into. Know the data you're giving up when you agree to use any of these tools and products. And, you know, just have fun with it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, just try to limit your impulses uh, on you know, making uh, disinformation <laughs> yeah. around elections. If you're a bad actor, yeah. don't even listen to this podcast. Get out of here. So one little postscript on all this OpenAI slash Sam Altman news is regarding what keeps Sam Altman awake at night. Me. And believe it or not, it's not visions of Tasia Custody and sugar plums bouncing through his head as much as some of us may wish that were the case. He keeps me up at night. <laughs> so he also recently spoke at the World Government Summit in Dubai via video link and expressed his concerns about the potential harms of AI to society, calling for a universal regulator to oversee the development and deployment of AI, similar to the International Atomic Energy Agency. Now, Sam Altman said he was not worried so much about the whole killer robots scenario that people often automatically go to, Terminator, Judgment Day, et cetera, et cetera, you know, AI uprising. But rather, he's most concerned about the subtle societal misalignments. That's a quote, subtle societal misalignments that could result from AI systems that are not aligned with human values and goals. I guess it depends on what your values and goals are, because mm -hmm. we contain multitudes. Um, he gave examples of how AI could affect democracy, privacy, and human dignity. He also said that the current stage of AI development was still open for debate and discussion, but soon there would be a need for ac an action plan with real buy-in from the global community. So global co coordination on anything? Good luck with that. But, you know, we saw it with, with you know, atomic energy and nuclear weapons and so on. Um, he said the companies like OpenAI should be bound by an organization that could monitor and regulate AI ethics and safety. So we've talked about safety. We've talked about regulation in the past. And Sam Altman is being pretty consistent about this. He's either a good actor or at least at the very least trying to be seen as a good actor. It's like, hey, guys, you know. We're, we're, we are mindful of these issues as well. It's, it's up to you, governments, to make the regulations, and then we will follow your rules. There's the whole analogy with, uh, you know, with crypto over the last decade or so, where in the United States, for example, you saw reg uh, regulation by enforcement as opposed to having actual regulations that's made it really hard for a lot of organizations, such as Coinbase, that were often operating in a regulatory vacuum. But whenever you hear large, well-heeled incumbents like OpenAI, calling for regulation, just remember that that ultimately can work to their advantage because they have the resources to jump through all the hoops and be very careful and follow all the <laughs> hundreds, if not thousands of pages that governments would be likely to generate on these very topics, which can 
act as a, serve as a bit of a gatekeeping effect for startups who just don't have the resources to follow all those rules. So be, be careful what you wish for, but maybe Sam Altman is wishing for that so he doesn't have as much competition. But that's what keeps them up at night. Darn it. Not the killer robots. Not me. Oh, we'll see. Well, have we done it, Tristan? Did we do it? I think so. I think so. Um, thank you for sticking with us. And th thank you for tuning in to AI Named This Show. Um, come and check out our website, if you please, at www.ainamedthisshow.com, where you'll find all our past episodes, the lovely artwork connected with those episodes, and links to all our socials and more. AI and goodbye. <laughs> Regulate me, Daddy. <laughs> You've been waiting to say that the whole show. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.